You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. My voice is struggling a little bit, so if you see me uh, reach down and drink some water, I know that's abnormal for me, but it's a long day at softball, and so join me in praying that umpires get saved this morning somewhere, wherever they are. Is this their fault? But if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24, verses 12 through 18. We'll continue our journey through the book of Exodus. And I am um, going to be, and I know some of you are going to roll your eyes. I'm going to be shorter than normal this morning, okay? I am. I really am. I know you don't believe me, but I am. All right? So uh, what we'll do is I'll read the Scripture, I'll pray, and then we're going to take it a verse at a time like we normally do. And this is a relatively small section, pretty straightforward, um, even though it does have some depth and some things that are difficult to understand. Um, And then, Lord willing, once we get through the Scripture, we'll close with some, some applications and see what all this means in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So if you would join me. Reading Exodus 24, beginning in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The cloud of the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, what a great privilege it is to gather this morning again in your name. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's living, that it's active, that, that such an ancient writing still has so much relevance for us today. We thank you for the gift that it is and what it reveals to us about yourself, what it reveals to us about us, and what it reveals about our greatest need, um, and how you've met that need through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so even these Old Testament scriptures that are many years before Jesus ever came to the earth are all pointing to Him. And so, Father, I I, I pray that You would help us to see that. Lord, also pray this morning for the seniors that will be graduating. I know there there are even some here as guests this morning. God, I pray for them. I pray um, that they would look to You. And, Father, I pray that these young adults would love You more than anything. I pray that they would trust Your providence in their lives and they would follow You. Lord, I thank you for Todd and Jess and their family and the the call that you've placed on their lives in Southeast Asia. Thank you that you allow us to be a small part of that. I pray that 
in their time back in the States, that they would be encouraged, that they would be edified, and they would be equipped for the good work that you've called them to in Indonesia. We thank you for the fruit that you've allowed them to see of their labor. Pray that they would remain steadfast and immovable, abounding in hope because of who you are. And so, Father, most of all this morning, we pray that you are glorified. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Exodus 24, as I said last week, is one of the most important chapters in the entire Old Testament. Um, as it lays out the biblical pattern for worship, it, it establishes God's covenant with His people, which is because of blood and only through blood. And it tells how God gave His law. And as we saw last week, it shows the point of, of, of all of this. The point of redemption for the people of Israel in Exodus 24. The point of redemption today when you hear things like the gospel or someone being saved. Like the point of all of that is so that sinners can have fellowship with God. And so the greatest gift that God offers His people is Himself. And everything that God gives us as His people that's less than Himself is a good gift. Not necessarily making light of that. But it's still a pointer to the greatest gift of redemption, and that is fellowship with God Himself. And so the glorious meal that we talked through last week that they experienced together as Moses and 70 of the elders and three other guys go up the mountain, um, they behold God. And as they behold God, the Bible just simply says, and they ate and drank. And we don't know the details of the meal. I know we kind of talked through this last week, but I, like, I would like to know more details about the meal. Like, what did they eat? What did they drink? What the, was their dessert? Like, like, it had to be, like, just this jam-up meal. Maybe not, but I feel like it was. But we're not privy to that information. And so evidently, they have gone back down the mountain now at the end of Exodus 24. And I know Moses is, is up in age. All right? So, so he's, he's probably 90 plus at this point. Um, but we don't really know how many times he's gone up and down the mountain. It, it's, it's really hard to tell in Scripture. So even our 90-year-old brother here, Moses, I feel like he's probably got calves like, like redwood stumps as many times as he's gone up and down this mountain. Like He has no need for, for a local gym because he's gone back and forth. But the climax of this story, and really, the, in, in my opinion, the, the peak of Exodus is what we find at the end of 24 as God has, has confirmed this covenant that He has with His people. And now, as we just read, Moses, whatever this means, Moses is going to enter into the glory of God. All right, so let's go starting with verse 12. Hold on one second. Chase, was this the phone beat? I mean, who's actually preaching? During church. It's probably Cade, Colby. It's probably Cade. All right, so verse 12. Verse 12. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. And so after the men come back down the mountain after the meal, the Lord summons Moses to come back up. And so this invitation is so that the Lord can give, the Mo, uh, give Moses the words that he's written himself. And so uh, what Moses will receive from the Lord as he goes up the mountain is he's going to get the Ten Commandments. Now the book of the covenant was not written by God on these tablets of stone. Only the Ten Commandments were. Moses himself wrote down the book of the covenant, which is what we went through from chapters 21 through about 23. 
But nonetheless, I think one of the most important things to see here is that these words are not Moses' words. They're not of man. These are the Lord's words. And I know that seems like an obvious emphasis, but I think it's vitally important for us as we think through this story because the people of God, it, it was going to be vitally important. They understood that these weren't Moses' words. That these are the Lord's words. And, and so regardless of what church context you find yourself in or even how you might encourage your parents or your children or however that looks for you or somebody at work or a fellow student, it's important that we understand that we have the Lord's words. Like, so don't feel this burden or this pressure to give chicken soup for the soul, right? I mean, I know some of that stuff can be helpful, but friends, we have God's words. They're His. They came from Him and this is one, one clear point in Scripture that we see, that we see that plainly. And so they're not of Moses, they're not of man, but these are the Lord's words. In verse 13, so Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. Now, Joshua, who had an important role a few chapters ago, you may remember in their sort of fisticuff with the Amalekites, um, is to go up the mountain with Moses, at least partly. Joshua doesn't go all the way up into the cloud, as we're going to see Moses going to, into the cloud here in just a second. But, but, but Joshua does follow him partway up the mountain. Now, you may know this if you have any sort of background in the Bible, um, that Joshua is going to be Moses' successor. And so I think it's cool, even though it's not just a direct teaching here, I think it's cool that we see this pattern for discipleship develop. That we see this older man pouring into this younger man. You see those principles when we journeyed through Titus a couple of years ago. We saw those principles laid out in New Testament discipleship as well. That, that the older generation pour into the younger generation. Because let's be honest, especially for those of you guys that are about to graduate. Um, look, so the best way to learn how to do something and I don't, I don't want to break hearts here because, look, I'm, I'm pro-education, okay? But the best way to learn how to do something is to do it and to be with somebody that knows how to do it. Get the education, do all of those things, but don't think that once you get the education, you're going to be able to walk right into that career and just hit it out of the park, all right? That's, that's not typically the way that it works. And so we see that principle early on here. We see that it was necessary, and, and, and we know that it was right for Joshua to serve Moses and for Joshua to serve alongside of Moses because there's no better way to learn how to lead than to mirror a leader. Verse 14 and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. And whoever has a dispute, let him go, go to them. So it appears that Moses expects this to be a lengthy meeting as he sets up this system for resolving disputes while he's gone. Now, I can relate to this so much. Charlie and I can relate to this so much. And, and if you're a parent, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Look, we live in Duncanville, so we like when, when when we go to town, we're talking about DG, okay? We're talking about Dollar General, and our Dollar General is nice. It's nicer than your Dollar General if you're not in Duncanville. <laughs> we we have produce, we have fruit and lettuce and all kinds of great things at our Dollar General, and so look, we can say, look, kids, your mom and I like like for us, this is a mini date. We want to go to Dollar General together. You know, your mom loves snacks and she loves fruit, and so I'm just gonna she's. Gonna to get all the snacks that she wants and get and get all this fruit. Look, so is, is it possible? Like we're talking 30 minutes. Is it possible for everything to be the same as it is now when we get home? 
like 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 even your 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 appearance, like your skin, like every like no broken bones, the house not be destroyed, no black eyes, no, like nothing like that. Like is that actually possible? And so we would even set up a small, and, and it fails miserably, almost every time. We try to set up a small system. For disputes, okay. So, so look, if if Abby and Titus, that's typically where it begins. Abby and Titus, if if this happens, then um, Cade and Sarah are in charge. I, I wish I could just say Cade was in charge, but it's it's Cade and Sarah in charge. And, and so Sarah, Sarah is you no, know, we're we're like like we're working with them. All right. So so so, but but look, it it rarely ever fails. When we get home, or actually, we don't even have to get home. Our phones start buzzing. <laughs> Daddy, Titus, call me a whatever. You know, I mean, like, so I understand what he's doing. And friends, we're going to see in a few weeks, this doesn't go well. I mean, when Moses is up the mountain, things go south, and they go south quickly. And so he sets up this system for resolving disputes while he's gone. In verses 15 and 16, it says, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Verse 16. I love verse 16 because it gives us a little bit more insight. It says, The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. We, we've seen this cloud already in our journey through Exodus, but we haven't seen the cloud described as specifically as it is right here as the glory of God. It's the glory of Yahweh. Like, that's the only way I know to say it. I wish I was gifted enough or had the words. I, I, I honestly don't think the words are there, right? I don't think the words are there to be able to rightly describe and explain what exactly this means because the, uh, Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, like that's what he writes. The glory of the Lord appeared. And, and so we read the glory of the Lord appeared and our minds probably go in like a million different directions, but um, it's not far enough wherever our minds go. It's just not enough. But that's what we have. This, the glory of the Lord settles there. And, and did you notice that Moses doesn't just mosey on up in there? can't. Moses knows who he's dealing with. And friends, this is true throughout Scripture. This is still true today. We can't just go to the Lord any way that we want to. I mean, in fact, the day that I was saved, I was 17-year-old punk. I got up that morning with zero intentions of believing in Jesus. I got up that morning fully expecting to continue on the path that I had been on for years, which was the exact opposite of the gospel. It was for my glory, and it was not for the glory of God. But that day, as he called Moses here, that day, and I have no other explanation other than just the sovereign grace of the Lord, when I heard the gospel preached, my eyes were opened. The same gospel that I had heard for years. I went to a private Christian school here in town and I had to go to chapel. I'd never, I never chose to go to chapel. It was between math and history. Like I just had to go to chapel and heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. My point is this, we don't just go to the Lord. We can't. We're sinners. He's holy. He's described as glorious. 
And so even this is a small little picture. I, I think it's a principle that you see carried out and one that we need to understand that, that, that Moses doesn't just haphazardly walk up the mountain and feeling all great because he's the chosen mediator and think he can just walk up to the Lord any old time that he wants to. No, he waits. He waits and he has to wait for the Lord to call him. In verse 17, it says, Now the appearance of the glory of God, now we have a little bit more description, was like a devouring fire. That word devouring, uh, devouring is also consuming. It literally means to eat. And if you've ever seen a fire that's big enough, really any fire is, is burning something. It's consuming something. But if you see a big fire, if you ever have experienced that or seen the destruction that it causes, and we've, we've covered this a couple of times. I've shared personal stories with you guys about fires that I've made that have gotten out of hand. And before you know it, it is a devouring fire. But that's the only description they have. As they look up the mountain and there's this cloud and now it is as it's a devouring fire. What they see is no doubt spectacular, but, it, but it's still not as great as what Moses sees. Look at verse 18. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Moses enters the cloud. Again, I wish I had some sort of illustration. I, I, I tried to think of them. But every single one that I thought of just, just, just felt incomplete. It felt, it felt inadequate. Like I don't know any way to describe like what it would have been like, not only for the people at the base of the mountain to be gazing up and to see this sight, but then to see Moses go into it, but then to be Moses and to enter into the cloud. I can't, I can't imagine. Theologians, and I know, you know, I know this is kind of a big word, but I thought it was a good time for us to talk about this particular word. But there is a special word to describe these instances in the Old Testament when God appears to humans. When there is a visible manifestation of God, it is called a theophany. T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y. And that's what this is. It's a spectacular display of the Lord's glory. And we see them throughout the Old Testament. We see them some in the New Testament, particularly in the Old Testament. You see these times where the Lord chooses to reveal Himself. Now listen, it, it's not all of Him. That, again, that, that's, that's really, really important. Like what they're seeing is just a glimpse of how glorious God actually is. We've mentioned glory quite a few times in our study of Exodus and so I want to just remind you of a few things. If you're a note taker, you might want to jot these down. But God's glory is, it's His majesty. It's, it's who He is and it's what He does. God is in a class by Himself. The Lord and the Lord alone has infinite perfections, greatness, and worth. And God's glory has been revealed in everything He's done to rescue Israel out of Egypt. It was glorious for the Lord to remember the covenant that He made with Abraham. Even though many, many years had passed and His people had been in bondage for 400 plus years to the Egyptians, God remembered His covenant 
with His people. And that is a glorious thing. It's, it's glorious that God had compassion on Israel's suffering. It's glorious that the Lord plagued the Egyptians in order to secure the redemption. It's glorious that He led His people through the sea. And just want to pause there because when I say glory, sometimes we just think glory and we don't think beyond that glory. But think of God's glory as this umbrella that has all of these other attributes and realities about who the Lord is and what He's done under it. So let's talk about the Red Sea. Do you remember that moment? Like we would think, and I think we think high enough of ourselves, and I'm saying that in sort of a negative way, kind of in the middle. We probably think high enough of ourselves that if we would have been God's people and we would have been rescued in the way that they were, we would have seen the ten plagues, we would have had the man Moses giving this personal account, like words from the Lord, this prophet of God, that whenever we got to the Red Sea and and the sea was there and Pharaoh's army was closing in, then, then we would have had faith. I mean, if we would have seen all that they had seen and experienced all that they'd experienced, surely we would have been more faithful than they were. But do you remember the attitude of the people of God when they, again, after all that the Lord had done, they get to the Red Sea, and there it is, and here comes Pharaoh's army, and they basically, I'm paraphrasing, but they look at Moses and they say, so you just lead us here to die? Like we would have rather died in Egypt. At least we would have had a grave. What does the Lord do? What does this reveal to us about the glory of God? I mean, what He could have done, we couldn't have argued with. He could have said, you know what? If you're going to spurn my grace and spurn my mercy and spurn my love, and you're going to be a faithless people, then you know what? Yeah, I'm going to let Pharaoh's army just take you out. And friends, please hear me, and I'm not saying this with excitement, but I want to be honest with you. I want to be real. If God would have done that, He would have been right. It would have been justified. He wouldn't have been this big, mean old God. No, they spurned Him, and He would have been right. But what did He do? He showed mercy. He showed mercy to sinners. He showed mercy to people who were confused, who were suffering, who were scared, and who lacked faith. And he opened up the sea. I had a conversation with a man at the ballpark yesterday. You know, like I do try to be intentional about spiritual conversations, but I'll be honest with you. Once somebody finds out I'm a pastor, like I get the Sunday school version of people. I don't get what y'all get. They'll start speaking in King James Version to me, and I'm like, man, hey, chill out. I'm a normal dude. Like, I put my pa- like, I, I'm just like you. I, like, like, I promise you, I'm, I'm not what you're thinking right now, so you can chill. But the conversation led to, I mean, I guess it's just in God's providence, to this particular story. The Red Sea, when it's talking about, man, can you imagine how incredible it would have been to, to see that? And then the conversation went to what we just talked about. And they were, like they were just complaining. They were just lashing out at the Lord and at the Lord's prophet. But yet, because of his glory, and in that glory, his grace and his mercy, he opened the sea and the man said, Hey, have you ever noticed that it says they crossed on dry ground? The Lord had gone above and beyond to express to His people His power and His his faithfulness to them. 
Not only that, the Lord has shown His glory as He provided for them in the wilderness. The Lord has shown His glory. It was glorious to, uh, for Him to give them His law. And, and, and so the Exodus story, and we're going to see this as it plays out. The Exodus story is the story of God doing one glorious thing after another for His people. But, but this is the climatic point as Moses enters into the glory of God. Because as Moses enters into this cloud, what he's going to receive first is are the tablets handwritten. And, and so again, I know we talked about this, but just so we're clear, the Ten Commandments written by God on stone would be given to Moses. But then after that, what's going to be described in the next few chapters, and just a little disc uh, disclaimer, next week we're going to do three chapters. So bring a lunch. I'm going to get some charcoal. We'll have some coolers set up to make sure y'all stay hydrated. No, seriously. Um, it's not going to be any longer than normal. But, but in those three chapters, we're going to see specifically what the Lord gives Moses in the cloud, other than the Ten Commandments, is He gives them very specific instructions about the mobile tabernacle that they are to build. So what's the tabernacle about? It's about this. The God who has been described thus far in Exodus through thunder and through lightning, and the God who only dwells at the top of the mountain, who cannot be approached, intends to relocate. This God intends to tabernacle, which means to dwell with His people. Now don't miss this in the bigger story of the Bible. Before sin happened in Genesis 1 and 2, what did man have? fellowship with God. But once sin occurred, in Genesis chapter 3, friends, just for clarity, like, sin didn't just fracture our relationship with the Lord. We're not just a little sick. It, it killed it. It severed it. So after Genesis 3, after man's sin, and there's this separation between sinners and a holy God, what the Bible is about is God making a way for sinners to be in fellowship with Him. And every single time, this is the way that it plays out. This is the way that it plays out. God comes to them. Amen? Because they have no ability. We have no ability to go to Him. And so the God that dwells on top of the mountain in thunder and lightnings and devouring fire, He's coming to dwell in their midst. This is all anticipating a wonderful event. Just spoiler alert here. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, it says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And this is a beautiful moment. Because this is a beautiful moment because this is, this is the Lord restoring partly what was lost at the fall. And this is a beautiful moment not only because He restores it partly here, because it's pointing to the ultimate restoring that comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so He intends for His people to behold His glory. And the Lord intends for His people to live in a way that reflects his glory. And the same is true today. 
I know it's on coffee mugs. I know it's on t-shirts. I know it's on bumper stickers. I know you hear it all the time. Hey, live for the glory of God. Well, we're beginning to understand more of what that means as we behold His glory in Exodus. And we have, for those of you that are Christians, have beheld His glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That means that, that we've seen and understood this salvation even in a greater sense than what we've seen of the salvation of Israel. Because the sea that we've crossed by God's grace is much greater than the Red Sea. The exodus that we've seen, the bondage that we've been saved from is, is much greater than the bondage that the Israelites had under the Egyptians. And so God intends for us to see Him for who He is and for that to change our lives. And, and so that we live in light of the glory of God. Now, I do have some final thoughts, and, and I may be the only one the only one in here who had these kind of thoughts throughout this section of Scripture. But I couldn't help but go, man, I'm a little jealous. Like, I want to see that. Right? I mean, who here wouldn't sign up for that? Like, I want to see the, the fire at the top of the mountain. Like, more than that, hey, I, I would be good, which I would probably have just been a spectator anyway. I would have been good with being a spectator looking up the mountain and going, whoa, that's incredible. That cloud, like, like that's the Lord. That's the God of Israel. That's the one who saved us. And you see him in his power in light of everything that he's done. But imagine being Moses. And whatever it means to enter into the glory of God. I, I mean, I think things, I'm being really transparent with you right now, so I hope this doesn't mess with your mind too much, but I think things like, I mean, Lord, if I could see that, I would be more faithful, right? Like, I would know that I know that I know that I know that you're real. So why don't we see that? You may think that you have never seen a glory like this. But friends, listen to me. If you're a Christian, you have seen emphatically more of the glory of God through Jesus Christ than Moses physically experienced in the cloud at the top of Mount Sinai. Christ is the fullness of God's glory. If you're a Christian, the gaze and the benefits of glory that we have been given in Christ are far more spectacular than what the people saw in Exodus 24. And, and, and I can hear Paul say in Colossians 2.9, and, and I'm going I'm to go through these pretty quick. They'll be on the screen behind me, though. In Colossians 2.9, again, Christ, if you want to jot this down, because this is where we're going for the next five minutes, Christ is the fullness of God's glory. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in Him, that's in Jesus, the whole what? Fullness of deity, that's God, dwells in bodily form. Turn over a page to your left. Colossians 1.19, he says essentially the same thing. For in Him, that's in Christ, all the what? Fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Thought of Hebrews chapter 1. I'll get there in a second. These are little thin pages. All right. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. All right. Like, like that's what we've been doing for the last eight months. 
going through Exodus and seeing how the Lord spoke. That This is what the writer of Hebrews is referencing. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Listen to verse 3, In light of Christ being the fullness of God's glory. He, Jesus, is the radiance, or think of this word, it's the fire, the consuming fire, the radiance of what? The glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. In John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word here is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh, and, oh I love this, and tabernacled among us. That's what that means, dwelt. See that theme? God coming to tabernacle with His people in Exodus 24. God coming to dwell in their midst. All of that is fulfilled in Christ. Listen friends, Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the sacrifice. This is the, these are the things Jesus means when He says He came to fulfill. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then you have this parenthetical statement in 15. Speaking of John the Baptist, John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. Verse 16, For from Him His what? fullness we have all received grace upon grace almost every time in scripture when you see a reference to Jesus and the glory of God together you see the word fullness because that's what glory is and friends listen that's what Jesus is Jesus is the fullness of the glory of God verse 17 he gives us an Exodus reference. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made Him known. I'm going to close with these four, four thoughts and to help us understand Christ is the fullness of God's glory. Again, this is all built out of this idea of, well, I want to see glory I want to see the glory of God. Well, friends, listen to me. If you're not a Christian this morning, I'm, I'm telling you, the Bible's telling you where to look. Like, if you want to see the glory of God, if you want to know God, then you look to the Son. S-O-N. Jesus. So Christ is the fullness of God's glory, as we saw in John, um, whose fullness, Jesus, it covers us with grace, is the Word that was with God and was God. The first point you have to make is that Jesus was and is fully God. Jesus became flesh and the Word appeared in human form and His glory was seen. Jesus made God fully accessible. Friends, the tabernacle did not make God fully accessible. 
And try to wrap your mind around this. Even Moses entering into the cloud, whatever that meant, he did not have the access that those who have come to the Father through the Son have. What Jesus offered was complete in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I love this verse. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the cloud on the top of Mount Sinai. Is that what it says? No, listen. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus has made God fully accessible. Jesus was the only son from the Father. God, God did not ultimately send Moses. God did not ultimately send an angel. God sent His only Son to bring full, complete redemption. As John wrote, Jesus was full of grace and truth, and, and Jesus was completely both. So much grace so that we will not drown in our sins and the shame that it brings, but so much truth so that we understand the need for grace and also the need for judgment. So Jesus was and is full of grace and truth. Moses nor anyone or anything, not a cloud, not Moses, nothing else could bring what Jesus brings. Paul prays that believers would experience Christ in a very specific way in Ephesians chapter 3. Starting in verse 18. He says, May have strength, speaking of believers, this is a prayer, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the what? There's our word. Fullness of God. And he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. To, to experience the fullness of God as it's been revealed through Jesus Christ is to know him and to trust in him in his final sacrifice. And just a simple question for you today is do you know him? Because what is written in every single one of our hearts is a desire to know something greater. To be something greater. To be a part of something greater. And friends, that desire is only fully and ultimately met when we come to know Jesus Christ. Because when we come to know Jesus Christ, the fullness of God is revealed to us. Yes, we still see at this moment, as, as Paul prayed, like in our hearts through faith. But one day, as we talked last week, they saw the Lord's feet. Moses is going to see his back. But the promise of the gospel is that one day and forever, we will tabernacle with the Lord for eternity. And it will take an eternity to explore and experience the fullness of His glory. Joseph, you can come back. I love... And Denise and Gabs, I think, right? Yeah. I love how the writer of Hebrews connects the language of Exodus to the gospel. In chapter 12, verses 18 through 24, 
In these first few verses, he's talking about the experience at Sinai. The thunder, the lightning, the fear, the rules. Like sinners don't go up the mountain toward God because if they touched the mountain even or looked up the mountain, they would die. Listen, he says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Speaking of those in Exodus, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But listen to the tone change. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable, innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Listen, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And jumping down to verse 28 of chapter 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, because of Christ, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And this is, this is the same language we saw this morning at the end of Exodus 24. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com. Or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.